0: And I'm Allie. And it's About About Time for True Crime. Crime. Hi, you guys. Hello. Honestly, I'm pretty proud of how on point we keep getting that intro.
1: I'm pretty impressed.
0: Because we just did that the first time and we've just had the same timing,
1: which I guess is kind of the story of our life. But pretty much. We are the same.
0: We are. And we share
1: the same three brain cells. (laughs) That is true. Except also very different. Very different opinions on a lot of things.
0: Yeah, we share the same three brain cells, but we sure process them a little <laughs> different. <laughs> Absolutely. It's what makes us fun. Super cute. Mm, babe. Mm, David. Mm. Okay. So I'm really excited, though, because this is, as you know, our first CJ short where we go in-depth on something a little more academic with CJ.
1: I'm so pumped and hyped because I've wanted to talk about this for so
0: long, and I'm just so excited. I know. We just... Probably redid the entire episode, being excited, planning it out for you guys. And I can't wait to do it all again, which probably says something about us, but you're I listening. Know. I know. You clicked on it. Honestly, what is wrong with you? You're not even in school anymore. You don't need to do this. Seriously. Ugh. Anyway, we're so glad you're here. Um, <laughs> but we wanted to start with something that we both found really interesting and Honestly, does have a lot to do with how we look at cases, I think. Per our last two-parter, we talked a little bit and hinted at the fact that Dexter was an organized killer from the TV show Dexter, and kind of a little bit the difference in a disorganized replication of that versus the organized original Um, but we thought that this would be a really great topic to start with because it's prevalent in almost every case that we look at.
1: Absolutely. And we can talk about all the offenders that we talk about in all of our episodes that we do, um, and can pretty much make an argument to categorize them as organized or disorganized. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is sort of the background of how that terminology came to be and what it means. Exactly. How do we get organized? How do we get disorganized? How do we get mixed?
0: Ooh, swirl. That's the buys. Mm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to start off with some background and Allie's going to take it away with the ways in which the BAU came to be and started to look at organization and disorganization and serial killers.
1: Absolutely. So because we want to talk about this subject, it's only fair that we give you the background on the important players in profiling so that's what we're really talking about today is how we profile and what that looks like and how it came to be and just a quick asterisk here
0: if you were like me in my senior year of high school and I was like what in the hell am I gonna do I want to be a profiler you guys very sweet very wonderful it's a tool it's not a job it is one of many techniques that people use in law enforcement and in the government to understand who they're looking for and also categorize the kind of offender we're looking for. So that is basics of profiling. It's a tool. It's a technique. Here's what we know about it.
1: And a lot of people have watched Criminal Minds and think, Ah, uh, yes, that's what I want to do. That's not really out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so much love, but the government is not really
1: giving us all private jets to jet around in. We don't exactly have the luxury, and no, you're not always going to be the one agency of all the police agencies to arrest the person, even though you don't know this territory, you've never been there before, and you just arrived on scene yesterday. Don't know their customs or culture. (laughs) Yes, but that being said, profiling is a very, very, very important tool in investigations, and so that's what we're going to talk to you about today. So, to give you a little bit of background on the players in profiling, we're going to kind of jump back in time and talk about Hans Gross. He was an, uh, an Austrian criminologist who, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, did really the groundwork for what we know today as forensic science and criminal profiling, and then the FBI sort of followed that lead in the 1970s and started the Behavioral Science Unit, or the BSU. Which began with less than, like, 15 people at the time. But when it began, it was controversial. It was new. It was intimidating. It challenged the status quo. People were really resistant to those ideas because it was new and and seen as sort of this, like, wishy-washy, artsy-fartsy kind of, like, quote-unquote science.
0: Astrology for CJ. Seriously. And a lot
1: of people didn't give it credit. Um So it's just important to note that this wasn't exactly widely accepted and people weren't cheering from rooftops Um, in investigative agencies at the time. It was kind of looked down upon. Um, And the main players there and the names that you should credit are Howard Teton and Patrick Mullaney, who began the unit. Um, And then, you know, we've all watched Mindhunter's. And you see the agents that sort of start compiling the database of sorts on criminal behaviors to cross-reference and build profiles and then use those profiles to try to catch different murderers and things like that. And this was based on the work of John Douglas and Robert Ressler and Dr. Ann Burgess, I will include, but I don't believe she was an agent. Um, And that started in 1976. And something fun that I learned <laughs> in my profiling class in college was that the BSU was renamed the BAU. And the reason for that, oh shit <laughs> the reason for that was because, you know, other, other agencies in the FBI were just calling the BSU, the bullshit unit. <laughs> and it really stunted them like taking off and getting this approval because people were like, Oh, the bullshit unit. It just really, it, it kind of, undermined what what they were trying to do in the work that they were doing so it was later named the bau which is the behavioral analysis unit and that's what we know it as today but what we want to talk about is the difference between organized and disorganized offenders and the fbi has since broken up that terminology we don't typically refer to them as that because there's a lot of other subcategories that are more specific
0: Actually, there are 24 organized and 12 disorganized different profiles. We're obviously not going to get into those today. We are going to keep this to the point and succinct, basically, of the two major categories. What does disorganized look like as a whole? What does organized look like as a whole?
1: And even though there are plenty of other subsections of it, we would be happy to go over those with you. And if you'd like an episode specifically on that, let us know. We'd be happy to give that to you. But we thought it was most, you know, easily digested if it's just kind of split into the two halves. Yeah. And we'll just give you a disclaimer right now. We are not claiming that we are experts on this topic.
0: No, no, no. And also, friends, the reason that we're doing such a general overview is a to sort of understand how invested and interested you are in these kinds of topics and specifically this categorization and profiling before we do a deep dive and have you listen to all of it, but also because we are not experts. We don't know every single nuance. And while we both have spent plenty of money and time reading textbooks and being in classes to talk about it, neither of us have PhDs and neither of us can claim to have been there for the whole thing or even probably to understand everything because as anybody knows in any good conversation, a question comes up.
1: And so. even, even if you have a PhD, let's be honest, you don't know everything. Oh, hell no. <laughs> and that world is ever-changing also. And, you know, we, we don't want to try to say that we're all that in a bag of chips, that we are experts on this, but we did spend a lot of time studying it. We spent a lot of time studying it and being fascinated by it, wrote too many papers on it. So many. Did a lot of research on it. So... It's just a topic that we feel excited to talk to you about and also want to give you another disclaimer that we're not saying that all offenders that are organized check every box under the organized category. And, you know, the opposite is true with disorganized. We're not saying that, you know, they check every box either. The reason that we're so fascinated and I think as a society, all of us true crime, true crime sickos. (laughs) are fascinated and interested in all of this is because they are so different and they are so extreme and crazy just compared to, you know, what we consider typical. Yeah.
0: And here's the other thing. As Allie was saying, not everybody's going to check every box and every box is not an indicator of exactly what's going to happen. So you might see something that's a little bit mixed. You know, there'll be elements of organized and elements of disorganization. That's normal and natural. And actually, this is this one specific part, so I'll try not to get too much on a soapbox here, but this is really what drew me to psychology and sociology was this whole idea that for anything that we categorize, we have a, as a society, something in mind for what we deem normal and what would have been normal behavior. So in psych, this sort of diagnostic of, Organized versus disorganized reminds me a lot of mental health diagnostics, which is there are differential diagnostics possibilities. I have ADHD that overlaps with anxiety, depression, the autism spectrum. There's a lot of Venn diagram circles all compiled into one place, and we're trying to understand sort of how the dichotomy there plays to tell us more about how somebody's going to act
1: it's a good predictor. Is it going to tell you everything you want to know about an offender? Absolutely not. But it can point you in the right direction. And that's how the tool is used. By definition, these people are atypical. Again, why we're fascinated in talking about them. So it also kind of follows suit that they're not going to check all of these typical boxes that have been sort of laid out that, you know, they might fall under that category but that doesn't mean that they hit every box so it's in fact you know it's highly unlikely that they ever would
0: great reminder that you know we are not experts these are not mutually exclusive but one of the things that i love about this field is that it's always developing we're learning new things and as we've all seen in the last few years with the pandemic the scientific process is not a hundred percent foolproof and it's not without its trials and errors. And so when things like this happen, for instance, we learned a lot about disorganized versus organized and about the specific categories. But for a long time, there weren't the categories. So until we improved, we only did what we could with what we had. And I think that this overview is really good for that and to keep going forward and to progressing the fields so that we can do better as a society, not only to keep ourselves safe and healthy and well and those that we care about the same, but so that we can try to help people who are helpable and make their lives better and everyone else is along with it. But without further ado, I do believe Allie and I wanted to start with Organized Offenders, Ab so fruitly. And this is, I think, going to be the big one for a lot of people. This is what most people hear about in terms of serial killers, like Ted Knees of Steel Bundy. Definitely an organized serial killer. But, Ellie, what does that mean? Do you want to start with that?
1: Of course. So, organized offenders tend to have a typology. So, they are high-functioning psychopaths and sociopaths typically Um, and it's important to note that not all psychopaths or sociopaths are murderers there are many that do not harm or kill people Um, statistically speaking very few are murderers but it is more likely that a serial murder murderer will either be a psychopath or a sociopath
0: kind of a square rectangle thing
1: yes and these organized offenders present as highly intelligent um they have very high iqs they're higher up in the birth order meaning that they were um typically like if you've got a family of four that the first or second born Um, they often present as someone with obsessive compulsive disorder um you know we know as ocd um, they're very particular in every aspect of their life. Everything has to be just so. And they're sort of put off by things that are not in the right spot.
0: Well, they're kind of put off by things when they are not to that specific person's
1: individual liking. Things have to be just so. And it throws them off. When they aren't the way that they believe it should be,
0: have you ever made plans with someone to go to lunch and then the plan changed, like the plans change like 80 times the same day? That would be an organized offender's worst nightmare. Like on the first change, they'd be pulling hair out.
1: Exactly. They are very routine oriented. Um, they also though function very well in romantic relationships. They rarely live alone unless they are actively choosing to like if they're in between partners or something like that Um, they do typically carry out successful relationships Um, they're not viewed socially as loners or that weird guy in the corner or something like that they have friends they're social to the extent that they want to be social Um, and they aren't described as aggressive or violent by those around them that doesn't mean that they don't experience aggressive thoughts and you know violent impulses but it means that they have the self-control to not act on them
0: well and read the famous example of ted bundy i mean he was able to fool not only anne rule but a woman that he was in a relationship with enough to be around her daughter these are not people that are going to strike your red flags right away you're going to think they're a normal person charming witty fun
1: these delightful
0: even these aren't the
1: trench coat wearing guy in the alleyway saying hey baby offenders um they present as attractive and not in the you know chiseled jawline michael c hall jawline just saying um (laughs) not in that way but in that their appearance is well kept they're dressed appropriately for the occasion they are well groomed they don't appear disheveled they're belongings are well cared for their vehicle is clean which don't look at mine
0: uh at least we know you're not a serial killer
1: that was your only giveaway yikes Yikers! you are
0: very charming and very smart so i would have been a little concerned oh
1: my goodness (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh babe okay i'm blushing Um, they also so you know going off their vehicles clean they're also very mobile they are more likely than disorganized offenders to have a car they do well at work they are typically successful in work that's why a lot of psycho and sociopaths are ceos (laughs) of companies they have good they have good work ethics because they are excellent at compartmentalizing information they navigate geographically very well um they again own a car typically because they can afford to because they do keep jobs and they follow laws regarding their vehicles meaning they're going to have it registered if they need to have it registered. They're going to make sure that their taillight isn't out for six months. Why? Because they don't want to interact with the police.
0: Well, exactly. And most of the time, organized offenders are really controlled and intelligent and manipulative, but they're also really methodical. So the idea of getting pulled over, even for a broken taillight, God forbid you have to go into the station and give them your fingerprints. That wouldn't go over well. So they plan for potential... They plan for potential bumps in the road ahead of time so that they can easily maneuver the criminal justice system when it comes time for their crimes to be looked at.
1: They do their best to really think three to four steps ahead. They also, though, what comes with this high IQ and this charming personalities, a lot of times they think that, well, not only do they think they're above the law, if they're serial offenders, but they also have this, inflated sense of self where they don't think they can get caught they really can't wrap their heads around when it's not about them that's very typical with serial offenders and they're also typically sexually competent so they mom and dad please skip a few yeah
0: hey um a little bit you guys just like a little 15 seconds here and there like four times five times
1: yes please so um Typically, these offenders are sexually competent, meaning that they can achieve orgasm in what is deemed socially typical ways. Um, not that they can't be, but typically they aren't necrophiliacs, although Ted Bundy's an outlier with that. Um, they are charming. They're able to sort of put on a face and get along with others. They are poised, intelligent, intelligent. Very, very manipulative. Yes. And I would say
0: the other thing about organized offenders is they have really mastered the art of masking. They can mask all of their thoughts. They can mask their intentions. And because of this, they do really, really well in society because they understand what people want to see to feel comfortable. So these are people that I wouldn't be surprised if you're drawn to them. I wouldn't be surprised
1: if you're like, I don't know that they have that in them. And they sort of, they going off of what you said, they sort of chameleon, right? They, they adjust their persona, their personality to what their audience wants to see, or at least what they think that they want to see.
0: So this does make the impact of being an organized offender on a crime a little more intense because it's usually more thought out. It's more planned out. And particularly for offenders who have any sort of uh, fantasies that they might want to play out, this could be really detrimental for a victim because they have the forethought and the wherewithal to account for how to make up for missing periods of time if they're going to keep a victim alive. They have the ability to think out, you know, where on a body is, you know, most fatal. Either I hit it or I don't, depending on my you know goals for whatever this crime is and in this case it's really hard because there really aren't any feelings for victims there's not really a lot of empathy here so the killer can stock plan prepare for long periods of time and because of this self-control and planning they have these details worked out there are serial killers who will sit in front of a home for weeks to figure out everybody's schedule to figure out the best impact places to come in and to leave, places to hide, tools to help. These are all things that we see in a variety of killings that are a real tip-off that somebody has that self-control element of an organized serial killer. And specifically when you don't see it coming, that's another tip-off that it's very organized.
1: And you might see them in your neighborhood, but they look like they belong.
0: Yeah, you know... If I opened the door to an exterminator guy who said, hey, next door has cockroaches. I'm just going to spray around. Is that
1: cool? I'd probably say, yeah. And they're they're really good um, with coming up with ruses. And, and we'll talk about that.
0: Yeah. And sort of gaining that first glance trust of, okay, this is somebody there's, I feel like there has to be a good amount of rapport or consequences on the line for them so I trust this exactly so another thing to keep in mind for these organized offenders is that they frequently don't know their victims because they want to be so skilled in this um, planning of the crime but also in avoiding any consequences to come from it to keep them from stopping that's their goal is to keep going
1: they need to have this level of removal
0: Yes, and for that, frequently people who kill in a more disorganized fashion, it's a little bit easier to link than those who kill in an organized fashion because they will plan, they will prep, they will find someone who might fit a type that they're looking for but isn't necessarily going to be their Facebook friend.
1: Exactly, and they tend to hunt for their victims, like Abby was talking about. Again, that planning and that preparing. But they do that in areas that aren't in the general vicinity of where they work or where they live. They, Because they're able to, because they often have vehicles and access to transportation, they will travel. Not far, but they will make an effort not to choose someone in their neighborhood. That means that it's... Less easily traced back to them. The area is not somewhere they frequent. And the victim is not someone that they know.
0: That's totally fair. And another thing to keep in mind is with this hunting also comes prey. And as we know from literally the Discovery Channel, there's only certain
1: prey you go for. So these killers do go for a type. And they will have that predetermined type already in play and on on their mind re ted bundy and the first girl who ever rejected him poor thing seriously so they tend to stick with that and they stick to their guns with it so after they've surveilled the geographical location that they are going to be hunting in and they've found their victim they're going to find a way to basically get that victim alone with them. So because organized offenders tend to be very social and present friendly and trustworthy in social situations, um, they're able to use what's called the con approach. And again, we're going to talk about bunding a little bit, so I won't go too much into it, but typically this is how they will start conversation with their victim gain their victim's trust and they'll do that in a way like wearing a sling and being like oh can you help me I can't get my things in my car or could you carry my bag I'm on crutches or you know I work in this building could you please let me in they present as not dangerous friendly harmless they just look and seem normal
0: right and the other thing to keep in mind with this lore and you know the con ruse approach for a lot of these offenders is that they are going to play on your empathy. They're going to play on things that they don't have because they seem to work infallibly for other people. So for Ted Bundy using the sling, of course someone's going to be like, "Oh, you know what? Of course, let me help you out. You're you're injured, you're hurt. This is what humanity does. This is what makes humans humans." But they don't know they're not dealing with a human.
1: And they believe that those things are weaknesses and they will play off the weaknesses that empathy and sympathy that people show to each other and I mean it might just be as simple as hey my car's broken down or can I borrow your phone anything to gain them more access to you they will use
0: exactly and this also goes back to that whole if you live in an apartment building double check with your manager or your landlord for any services before you let a service worker in Because they should tell you if someone's coming into your home. I know. Especially if you haven't requested it. Yeah. If you're not like, hey, my TV's broken. Please come check the cable. And a cable guy shows up. Yeah, you're fine. He's a salesman or he's trying to get inside for some reason. So definitely keep that in mind. But also, once again, never your fault if you don't. But usually a good tip. And really kind of where this ruse and luring stops is also where this masking stops of being this pleasant sociable person once they have their victim subdued they will do everything to kind of keep it that way they'll prevent possible escape plans uh re the dexter imitator (laughs) killer whose name i will not even bother saying you know, disorganized offenders can learn to become more organized. And this can account sometimes for a progression in somebody's killing streak. But also, it can help us understand how they view the situation, what do they think the escape route is, and where there are sometimes it might work to try to connect with A captor or something to try to psych your way out of a situation that is not usually available for organized offenders
1: exactly and you kind of hit it on the head where you know that sort of ruse stops and that polite warm persona stops as well and by this time they're normally utilizing some kind of restraint duct tape handcuffs any kind of bondage anything to subdue because again like we said they're thinking three steps ahead with law enforcement they're thinking three steps ahead with their victims too they're thinking of the ways that they could get away how can they prevent that before anything happens
0: well and along with all of this prep and I don't know if you would really call it a routine, but you know, the prep and the acts of making sure that they are in reality as far ahead of everyone else as their mind is, there usually comes some precautionary moves. So, whether the you know, we'll say the crime happened, everybody's intent for the crime is different. So, we're not going to be able to say an organized person is going to you know, content warning but like rape or and then kill someone we don't know that that's person specific
1: exactly and if you want an episode that goes more deeply on what each sort of category of organized offender there are you know let us know we'll give that to you but for now We're going to call it organized.
0: Right. So as a whole, we're not going to go into what that crime might specifically be. But on the other side of it, once the crime is done and the victim is presumably dead and or otherwise incapacitated, these precautionary actions can come across as, you know, removing teeth to prevent a dental record being identified.
1: They might burn the fingertips of their victims to try to delay the identification process if the body is found vigorous
0: cleaning or moving the body to another location or
1: both things to throw off the investigation absolutely and they are very unlikely to leave the murder weapon at the scene of the crime typically they might dispose of it somewhere else Or they're going to just take it with them and keep it with them. They might reuse that. Um, But they are very unlikely to leave. If they stabbed someone to death, they're very unlikely to leave that knife behind.
0: And as well as this precautionary tale, sometimes through the descent of organized into disorganized, we see some things that are that go along with that inflated sense of self. So we think about the Zodiac killer and he leaves notes, right? He literally, well, I'm saying he, but we all know, whatever.
1: Yeah, sends the letters into the news. Sends
0: letters into news to tempt and taunt people. So sometimes that can be a little bit of a spiral, but it does go right in hand with that inflated sense of self that these organized killers have.
1: And we'll talk about it a little bit more, but this is oftentimes where they mess up because, because they get too confident but we'll get to that in a little bit
0: so the other thing and i think the only other thing that i really wanted to comment on when it comes to organized killers is that they will keep tabs on the investigation they might try to involve themselves and in that sense we really start to see sort of where some of these organized killers can descend into disorganized and these are not mutually exclusive people can kind of Go from disorganized into organized or have a little more downward mobility from organized into a spiral.
1: Exactly. And again, they do want to revisit scenes. They may want to relive the event or make sure that it's, you know, either not discovered or keep tabs on the, the progress that investigators are making. If they revisit the scene, though, they are sure to not do so in the presence of anybody else. They will not get caught or do everything they can to not be caught while they're revisiting that scene. And also, it's not uncommon for them to move the body, right? We touched on that, but there's a lot of forensics and other evidence available at a site, at a kill site. So, it's not uncommon for them to try to remove some of that and move the body,
0: Well, and along with that, they will frequently take trophies. And for organized killers, usually trophies that are easier to hide. We'll touch on that in disorganized. But for an organized killer, it might be a lock of hair, their jewelry, something that reminds them of the victim without necessarily being directly tied to the victim that would be noticed upon immediate
1: inspection. They're also more likely to try to dispose of the body, meaning that they're not just going to, again, leave it at the scene and say that's somewhere where someone could, on a hiking trail, see it the next day. Right. They're likely to try to dispose of it in the woods or in the ocean or somewhere remote where passersby aren't necessarily likely to happen upon it. People aren't necessarily going to accidentally find a victim of an organized killer, Typically, again, and every single thing that we're saying here has the asterisk with typically.
0: Yeah, again, with anything that is behavior based, you can't ever 100% predict somebody's moves. And also, we can't say that all of these boxes have to be checked for someone to be organized. You can have many of these aspects and not all of them and still, you know, unfortunately, trick a lot of people and Abs- hurt a lot of people
1: absolutely and the other thing about them that in terms of the crime itself is that they tend to have a victim type yes that tends to be consistent so if it's brunettes with the middle part like bundy had Yikes. or you know maybe <sighs> that's me maybe you go for a you know teen boys like John Wayne Gacy there's a certain what a clown <laughs> oh my god another dad joke and we just made it through a couple of episodes without it well so that, close that was a good run it's important to note that they will typically have these sort of criteria or standards that they want their victim to meet they're not at random they've paid attention to it they have studied them they know what they're looking for and then they'll know what it is when they find it yes another thing that we want to add is that you cannot categorize someone as organized or disorganized without first seeing and gathering evidence at the scene because
0: those are the biggest indicators of the kind of offender you're looking at you're gonna if you're law enforcement come across a scene and either see a staged setup or a bloody mess
1: Exactly. And so, we've given you sort of an idea of, in a social situation, how an organized offender might present. We've given you sort of a background of what that crime might look like. They're going to have a type that they're looking for. They're hunting in a hunting ground that's away from their home and their place of work. They're utilizing a con or some kind of ruse initially. They incapacitate their victim first. They make sure they clean up and dispose of the victim in a thought out and planned way afterwards. They're careful to take precautions in terms of not leaving footprints or shoe prints or leaving teeth behind of a victim if they can help it. Might burn fingerprints, might try to delay investigators in identifying the victim if they feel that the victim can be found.
0: Yeah, and the thing is this does impact an investigation so this can lead to a much more difficult investigation if the killer is organized enough to consistently and continually hide evidence and create clean scenes this obviously isn't frequent for long periods of time because many of these offenders will go in a frenzy and freak out and then start to spiral into disorganized but for the time being that they are organized and they are that put together and they have that wherewithal this can lead to real difficulties for law enforcement and can be even more difficult if they have somehow avoided other government interventions so i'm thinking if dcyf knows about their existence they're going to be in a government database somewhere that makes you an easier person to categorized because your name exists somewhere if if
1: they themselves have grown up in foster care or some kind of youth detention right or any other
0: priors for me I can't commit a crime because the federal government has my fingerprints from when I was 19 and I worked at the halfway house I am in their system
1: I would not be a good candidate for any of this and that's just it and it's because they are so careful and deliberate and everything that they do because really their life is a ruse in terms of their interactions with other people it isn't likely that they've got this lengthy criminal record it's not that they haven't committed crimes before because they likely have but they've not been caught
0: yes and we have some really great examples of this so we talked a little bit about ted bundy He did that same thing. He hunted, he stalked and surveyed his victims for weeks. He was approachable and social. People honestly thought he was very attractive, though. I think he kind of looks like the seal from Finding Dory. He was so cute. I don't
1: know. He was evil and horrible, but there was the
0: eyes and the eyebrows. I think the eyebrows get me, to be honest. I could
1: I could see the rest. But there was this reason that women, like, flooded the courtroom and would hold up signs saying, you know, free Bundy, he's innocent.
0: There's a reason that he was able to get a woman pregnant while he was in prison. And it's because he fits this to a T.
1: Exactly. And, you know, another good example here is my favorite. And if you listen to our last two episodes, first of all, thank you. But also, yes. hey, Dexter Morgan, he stalked his victims. He incapacitated them typically with some kind of drug that would knock them out yep he would do that to limit their resistance and then by the time that they woke up they were already incapacitated he would dispose of their bodies so he would not leave them at a crime scene he was very careful with dna and other forensic evidence not to leave anything behind wearing gloves wearing certain shoes having sort of you know, clean tools to use so that no other scene could be linked back to him. And he did all of this to prevent authorities from finding any of the remains. He would dispose of them in the ocean. He took trophies. And if you've watched Dexter, you know that he took glass blood slides. So pretty much on the nose, checks the boxes, but also let's not forget He's a TV character.
0: And also, not to be replicated, but this is a great segue here. So we've had our good examples. We understand as a general basis what an organized offender might look like in preparation, in the beginning, and in the disposal of a crime, and honestly, in the investigative stage as well. But the thing about organized offenders is, as we said at the beginning, it really is all masking. It is the perfection of masking your true thoughts and your brain. And unfortunately, as I'm sure everybody who has a mental illness knows, untreated mental illness has very real consequences. And usually these organized offenders end up spiraling into disorganized and putting themselves, I will say, at risk of creating more chaos than they have prepared for when they go into a frenzy, something spooks them or they believe someone's
1: onto them and this starts to get them paranoid. And this paranoia causes them to make mistakes. It causes them to, again, frenzy. They might take on more victims than they are able to. Yeah. They will often spiral into disorganized. So I'll put it this way. A true organized serial killer that never frenzies or turns disorganized for one, for one reason or another, they're out there. We've never caught them.
0: Yeah, such an anomaly that we
1: don't even know where to begin right now. Because it's typically when they start displaying disorganized traits That's what leads to their capture.
0: Well, and this is why, you know, we're going to go in and talk about disorganized crime here. We should note there are not many examples of famous disorganized serial killers because many of them are so disorganized they never get far enough to become something of a legendary, infamous serial killer. Ted Bundy did what he did because he went under the radar and didn't get caught and covered his tracks. If you're obviously identified as someone who might be sketchy or antisocial then you're likely going to have a much harder time camouflaging in if you do something
1: exactly and this is going to lead us into chatting about the disorganized offenders so basically you can take everything that we just said on organized and flip it right on its head (laughs) because They are the opposite of organized offenders, but we want to talk about those, too. So we'll give you the same rundown that we just gave you with organized.
0: So a disorganized offender, exactly pretty much the opposite of organized. So for their social and family characteristics, like we talked about with the organized offenders, these disorganized offenders are frequently antisocial or have a difficult time fitting in. They could be described as loners. If they did something, you might find yourself going,
1: yeah, something felt off about him. If you interacted with this person, you will kind of get the creeps.
0: Yes. And I think everybody has met someone that's given them the creeps. I'm not saying that person is a killer. I'm just saying we all know that feeling when the hair stands up on the back of your neck and you're like, I don't really know what's happening right now.
1: They're typically the odd one out. They keep to themselves and they like it that way. They don't really have an interest in media or socializing or anything that's sort of like pop culture at the time. They're pretty much into some kind of niche of subculture.
0: So one of the manifestos I read in college of someone that I would probably describe as disorganized, which, again, checks most of the boxes for disorganized and probably some for organized. He is Elliot Roger, and in this manifesto, he had the exact same thing. He had a really hard time making and specifically keeping friends. But also, he got really enveloped and interested in online gaming and some really violent online gaming. But... He had exactly what we're talking about. He did not fit in. He didn't do well socially, either, but whether that was with other people or intelligence wise or living up to expectations of people his age. And I think this is a really good example of what a disorganized offender might look like upon first glance.
1: Exactly. And, you know, they typically do have a low IQ, they're typically lower in the birth order. They tend to experience serious co-occurring mental illnesses, typically experience psychosis and extreme paranoia. Well, and again, I know Allie's not saying this. I'm not saying
0: this. Neither of us intend this. Many people have co-occurring mental illness that are not a danger to anyone. I myself have quite a few, so I know firsthand that most of the time people you run into with mental health issues are not who you need to be concerned about, but these people, again with the square rectangle thing, frequently will have serious maladaptive mental illness that really wreaks havoc on their life.
1: Well, and that's just it, and there's services available that if you experience any of these things... You know, we're huge advocates of taking care of yourself, practicing good self care. And a big part of self care is your mental health. What can you do? And not everything is solved with a pill. Not everything is solved with the medication, though they serve an excellent purpose. They do. But reaching out for services, participating in therapy, the things that probably could have changed in, in our history, and if we look at true crime cases, if someone had engaged in that, at least the vetting the vetting process of all of that someone might have noticed early on right and you
0: know we discussed a little bit in Allie's two-parter this week that frequently when we do run into people who have those issues there's a reason that sociology creates multiple safety nets for people to fall into so that these do get noticed and that is not going to be the case with these disorganized offenders.
1: And they hate people so much they never will. Yeah, I mean,
0: Elliot Rogers, the manifesto I was talking about, he literally hated women because they wouldn't have sex with him, but he refused to interact with one because he hated them. A little bit of a self fulfilling prophecy, but. Well, exactly. They also have specifics in terms of employment and education. Generally, we'll see that they did poorly in school, might be bad employees at work. They don't really care much about their work if they can work and if they feel like working at all. They're aggressive and rude and honestly... Usually don't do too great in customer service jobs, I'm sure you can imagine.
1: Yes, dealing with customers or, you know, their coworkers, they are likely to present as violent, get aggressive, be mean. They're not someone that you want as, like, your cashier yeah. or something like that. They, and- they don't tend to hold down a job for long if they do at all. Honestly, most of the time they will just choose not to work and try to get by.
0: Yeah. And honestly, for a lot of them, it works that or I will say I've heard of quite a few that end up taking over like a family business, um, usually on a low scale, not on anything large. But mom and dad, this is the next part that you need to skip past a few minutes. Skip, skip you, 15 you. seconds,
1: mom and dad. Thank you, you so much. These disorganized offenders tend to be sexually incompetent. So
0: wah, wah.
1: they achieve orgasm in non-traditional ways i would say um for example it's not uncommon for a disorganized offender to have sex with a corpse wow yeah but you know that being said ten bundy an organized offender was necrophiliac so again it goes to show not everyone fits the boxes perfectly but it's most commonly seen in disorganized offenders a lot of it there's a lot of paraphilia associated with that.
0: So yes, along with this paraphilia, we also see that because they have challenges in these social situations, not only might it be hard to get a sexual partner to be interested in you, because then you'd have to you know interact with them in a deeper level than just brushing their shoulders as you walk past them, but also you know these people likely even if they did get someone. It's hard to find someone who matches some pretty odd kinks, if you will. Well, and that's just it. You know, not to yuck anyone's yum, do what you want, but to the point where it doesn't intrude on other people's well-being and safety.
1: Well, and that's just it. And typically, the sex acts that they are interested in are not consent-driven. Correct. We are not kink-shaming. You do you in your bedroom. That is none of our business. However consent is everyone's business yes is yes friends so they will typically be aroused by pornography that is you know what we might call uh
0: delinquent
1: (laughs) yes um very fantasy based very violent But here's the other
0: thing about a disorganized killer. We wanted to talk about the same points we hit in organized. So we're also going to talk a little bit about what the crime itself looks like. These are more disorganized. So unlike an organized killer, there's likely not going to be a lot of prep. And if there is, it usually kind of goes out the window, which leads these offenders usually to be easily or more easily tracked to the victim. So they might not take the time to find a stranger like Ted Bundy did with brown hair in a middle part that looked like his ex-girlfriend, but they might actually find their ex-girlfriend and just kind of go on a fit of rage.
1: Or they're already angry because they're thinking about their ex-girlfriend and they see a little girl and she's alone. And so, she's an easy target. So that's, yes. Yeah. So their victims typically don't fit a profile, so to speak. Other than, you know, available it's, it's truly based on availability.
0: And so for that reason, if they do hunt, they tend to hunt in the area where they live or work, so they're familiar. And if they don't have a car, which many of them, because of the struggle to hold a job, might not be able to afford or maintain long-term, they might have to walk, bike, which are all methods of transportation that not only lead you to be seen by more people because you're out longer and more you know, individual on your own, but also lead you to have a much more limited radius on where you're going to be able to go to get away with a crime like this.
1: They often hunt in the same areas that they live and work. So where organized offenders have the means to get out of town, so to speak, um, disorganized offenders are not thinking that far ahead. They are going where they're hanging around and where they're hanging around is if they work in their workplace and at home. Yep.
0: And the other thing about them is because of this inability to do that prep and to have the resources and I will say props to get ruses and cons the way an organized killer might, they usually use a blitz attack.
1: Yes. And so... Where, you know, an organized offender like Ted Bundy would have the sling or the crutches or someone might say my phone broke down or something like that. Disorganized offenders do not have the social skills to utilize that. They will scare you off if they try. So, yep. they are not at all likely to use the con approach, but the blitz approach and for those of you who don't know, a Blitz is a sudden
0: overpowering force. So I would think of somebody who might, they might come up and hit you on the head like Catherine Knight with a pan and knock you out to subdue you. But they're certainly not going to have any elaborate ruse or scheme. It's just going to be a pure force on force.
1: Exactly. And they're just more likely to use their fists or an item that was easily accessible to them to literally beat somebody with as awful as that sounds because they're not planning in advance
0: right and for that reason also it can come across in the case and specifically the crime for the victim because with these blitz attacks not only is there more physical force so physical pain But for these kinds of offenders, they don't usually subdue their victims the same way an organized killer might. They probably aren't planning a way to prevent an escape. They might even be hurting their victims more than they intend to because if they haven't done their research on what they're looking to do and how human anatomy works, they might be trying to kill someone and constantly failing by hitting wrong spots. You know what I mean?
1: And the opposite is also true, where they might want to keep their victim alive longer for, you know, other purposes. They might accidentally kill them, too, in the attempt to incapacitate them.
0: Right. If you get, you know, the right artery hit, you're toast.
1: Exactly. Or beat them in the head so much, which would happen. So they don't typically use restraints. And again, they will typically rely on a blitz attack to subdue their victim they also leave a lot of evidence behind they are less likely to try to clean up or as we said before and organized offenders use precautionary measures so they're less likely to take the time to try to erase any dna or forensic evidence at the scene they're likely to leave the body at the scene so where they abducted and killed their victim is likely where the body will be found later that's just typically how they work because they're not thinking 10 steps ahead like an organized offender might they are purely just going based on ease of access availability impulse convenience
0: so as you might expect this will make the investigation frequently a little bit easier for law enforcement there's usually really poor aftermath with these offenders They might brag about being the killer or talk about the murders incessantly. Oh, I forget what one it was. But there was one a while ago where someone was at work and he had been killing people and it was getting noticed by the news. And he was literally at the water cooler with his coworkers, like, could be me, bro. Come on, guy. Guy. So it's stuff like that. They can't really act in a way that's not suspicious. They just don't get it. And their closeness to that victim, again, as they usually aren't, they don't have the wherewithal or the forethought to find someone they have no connection to, it makes it a little bit easier to get caught sooner. And again, as we said, this is part of why there are fewer examples of long-term disorganized killers. But you should also bear in mind that because a disorganized killer often can be inexperienced and If they have the ability to learn, sometimes they will become
1: organized and sort of learn from their mistakes, if you want to call it that. And there are some fixed criteria, you know, in terms of IQ and birth order and social standing and and some of those things that either can't be changed or will take a little bit of time to change, Um, but they can start, you know, thinking ahead of their crimes and choosing a victim ahead of time, premeditating. They might pay special attention at the crime scene to try to erase evidence. And as Abby touched on before, whereas organized offenders tend to take smaller trophies, disorganized offenders tend to take, well, I'll let you tell that, nastier trophies. Sometimes this could be
0: heads, fingers, feet, More personal items, sometimes underwear, if there is a nastier component to the crime. Um, And I would venture to say some people take weird trophies. And obviously, to everyone who is doing this, a trophy is something to spark their memory of a crime. So it might also be pertinent to the actual events that took place, which, again, usually tips off law enforcement.
1: It's like, you know, when you go somewhere new and you get a keychain... Yeah, or a magnet. Yeah, was it Ed Gein that had like a nipple belt? Sad. Yeah. So you know, think, <laughs> you know, it's the it's the nipple belt equivalent. Yeah, something that I could test and say, hmm, this looks
0: like it belonged to someone I can name.
1: <laughs> These are the kinds of things that you might find at the crime scene. These are the kinds of ways that disorganized offenders might interact with others, and. In terms of, you know, the investigation piece of it, you know, Abby said it is unlikely that a disorganized offender has been at large for 10, 15 years. Oh, just, absolutely. They've, by definition, they've made several mistakes. And that's why you hear, you know, most examples of disorganized offenders that we have today are are from the 1930s 40s 50s 60s before dna evidence and oh my gosh jack the ripper are you kidding leave guts all over the place and just bye you know and and so whereas today we've got fantastic uh science on our side and resources available to us it's much less likely now that a disorganized offender would really get away with it oh absolutely in what we have today um I mean, it's difficult for an organized offender. Thank God. I'm not complaining. Yep.
0: These are the opposite of our organized offenders. We obviously have a lot more information on organized offenders because we've had organized offenders who are committing crimes for longer periods of time for us to research and to look into. But pretty much if you can flip anything on its head from organized, that's what you'll see in a disorganized offender. They just have a really hard time doing life. And it's going to be easy to notice because most of us have some struggles. These people tend to have a lot. And as we know, hurt people hurt people. It doesn't make it right, but it does mean that it's relatively easy or easier at least to spot in a disorganized offender.
1: Exactly. And I think it's also important that we talk a little bit about some disorganized offenders, some examples in in sort of the real world. Um, Otis Toole, who was, you know, closely connected with Henry Lee Lucas, but specifically Otis Toole, had a very low IQ. He was very socially awkward. He did not have many friends. He was transient. He didn't have money or a job or anything like that. And he preyed on victims by grabbing them at random. Nice guy. Yes. So yeah. not, I mean, it probably worked to his benefit that he was transient because the zone so to speak that hunting ground was kind of here there and everywhere yeah a little bit larger but to just see a little girl alone and snatcher was not what an organized defender would do right
0: not someone who would take the time to make sure that this little girl wasn't expected home in five minutes exactly so you know, another thing to keep in mind, you guys, again, you know, Otis Tool or Otis Tool. I'm so sorry, we're looking at the ways that he was able to avoid getting caught with that transient lifestyle. So these are not one fits all kind of molds.
1: Exactly. And it is very common that many are mixed offenders. So they will display traits of both an organized and disorganized offender so they might premeditate their crimes and have a victim picked out ahead of time but then their crime scene they fucking mess yes they might leave the murder weapon behind they might (laughs) leave dna behind they might leave you know the body where they killed them and it might be out in the open and a quick asterisk if it's a true
0: disorganized offender, this is because they did not plan it and they didn't prepare this. It's not because something interrupted them in which they weren't able to do it. Though, if that happened, that could be something that sent an organized offender spiraling into a disorganized. And if a disorganized offender is able to do that and get away with it, this might be something they learn from and are able to change and develop more into an organized serial killer.
1: Exactly. Whew, I think that's it. So we gave you a brief little overview.
0: The good, the bad, the uglies.
1: So definitely let us know if you'd like a deeper dive. And let us know if there's any other topics
0: in true crime, criminal justice that you want to hear about. Allie and I really have
1: done a lot of research on this stuff over the last 10 years. And we still geek out talking about it as much as we did on day one. And I'm sorry if you can hear my cat.
0: Meow. Mia Bean. But you guys, we hope we...
1: Did this
0: topic justice? We hope you liked it. If you have questions, do send them in. We're happy to answer. We will always put in an answer if we have it. And if we don't, we will let you know and try to get back to you on it
1: exactly if we don't have the answer we will do our best to find it but we definitely encourage you to reach out to us let us know what you want to hear from us sharing is caring guys and we have the info to share so let us know what's most interesting most helpful for christ's sakes can you send us a picture of your cat my gosh it is not that hard mia needs a friend to chat to, so you can hear her cute little meow it's been like nine episodes and you've not sent one are you serious i mean get on it what are you doing it's kind of rude okay anyway love you so much but we're gonna go thank you guys for listening okay
0: i think that was a really good first deep dive and i'm excited to see you in our next regular true crime episode coming up next week all right and that was about About time Time for for true crime.
1: crime bye (laughs) Oh, my God.